0: Your horse will eventually reflect your state of being back at you and if you are not showing up seeking out regulation and connection you may not like the feedback you get. You're listening to The Horseman's Mindset where we meet to discuss horses, mindset, and mental health as it relates to your horsemanship journey. I'm your host, Ashley Purden, and I want to help you to bridge the gap between where you are now and where you want to be with your horse. I'm going to teach you what it is that separates good horsemen from the rest and how you can grow into that role for your horse. This show consists of my personal opinions and is meant for informational purposes only. Hello, my dears, and welcome back to another episode. I hope the sunshine that we're all experiencing finds you well, and if it doesn't, I hope that you find some restoration and time to rejuvenate and just soak up those sun's rays as you rest and recover. I am in what I am hoping will be a short season of rest and recovery. Um, Unfortunately, I had to take the week off from lessons and just take a step back and work on getting my body physically healed, taking the medicines I need to take, and taking the time to rest that I need in order to be well and be able to enjoy a fulfilling life. So I am in the middle of reading a great book right now. It's not a horse-related book, but it is a mental health-related book. And I decided that this week's episode, we're going to touch on self-care and mental health And also, again, how we show up for our horses. And we're going to learn a little bit about how, on a biological level, our horses actually physiologically mirror us and how that kind of works just a little bit. I'll just give you a little taste of that today. Just some things to kind of think about and consider adding into your horsemanship program. So, first of all, I would like to thank my friend Ann for giving me this book. It could not have been more timely, and I was really feeling myself crumbling under the weight of circumstances and not feeling well and events with other people that are outside of my control and really walking through a time of grief of losing a beloved friend as well. I really needed something to lift me up. I desperately needed something to lift me up. The interesting thing is, where I happen to be... where I happened to be mentally at the time as she handed me this book. If I would have realized it could have been categorized as a motivational book or a self-help book, I probably would have just stuck it back on the shelf for a while and got it out later when I was feeling a little bit better. And I always find it so interesting how God reaches us in the ways that we need to be reached sometimes. And he used Anne to meet me with a topic I was up for. As I had wandered into a bit of a dark place, the topic intrigued me, but the perspective and the display of resilience and healing are what kept me turning page after page. The book is called The Choice by Dr. Edith Egger, and she was in high school in 1944 in Hungary as a Jew, and she was on the Olympic gymnastic team looking forward to her first Olympics. Unfortunately, her Olympic dreams were never realized. You see, Edith was taken by Nazis to Auschwitz, which is the most notorious concentration camp, death camp, that the Nazis had established. Hundreds of thousands of Jews were killed in Auschwitz. They had basically a a mass extermination, very efficient system for getting rid of these people that they didn't want. And she and her sister survived this, but the rest of her family and her Jewish friends did not. And Edith and her sister were basically walking skeletons when they were liberated from a work camp that they were sent to after the horrors of Auschwitz, which they had already survived. I was really struck by her ability and willingness to walk through her trauma and grief and find a sense of peace and a sense of healing, and then also have a desire to help others after she went through all of that. To give you an idea of the extent of the trauma that she returned home with, she had a fractured spine, and she had absolutely no idea when the injury had occurred. This is what level of abuse she took mentally and physically during her time um, as a captive. And it took her a long time to regain her physical health. The Nazis had robbed her of her childhood, her family, her friends, her health, and yet she found ways to pity the guards. And even Dr. Mengele, who performed thousands of medical experiments on the Jews at Auschwitz, She actually pitied him for his loss of humanity. Eventually, as she recovered, she moved to the States. And her book, The Choice, fully acknowledges and walks you through her visceral grief process of tears and anger at what had been robbed from her in those Nazi death camps. But she kept believing that life is not about what happens to you. It's about what you do with it. It's about what you make out of your story. She doesn't believe in spinning your tires to work out the whys of a trauma, why a person did this or that to me, or why there's so much evil in the world in general. The why is beyond what we can comprehend and we'll never get down to the why. And the why doesn't generate any healing. It just causes you to get stuck. It's the what now. What will you do with the fires you have walked through to live your life to your fullest potential? She moved to the United States in 1949 and received her degree in psychology 20 years later and went on to complete her doctorate degree in psychology as well. Dr. Edgar decided that she would help people recover and move on and move through their trauma. She decided that her lived experience made her very relatable to everyone from war vets with PTSD and catatonia symptoms to suburban mothers realizing their life didn't live up to their expectations. She never intended for anyone to hear her story and then minimize their own trauma by making themselves feel like they're overreacting or being too sensitive because what I went through certainly doesn't compare to what she went through. She intended that instead her story would generate hope and the realization of if she can do it, so can I. And her book is very well laid out. She has several books. Um, This is just the first one that I've read and I'm planned to read the others, but they're very well laid out in that way of experiencing your feelings of what you went through without judgment, without trying to categorize it or rate, you know, whether it was a terrible experience or a mildly terrible experience. It's not about that. It's about what you went through, what you took away from it and what you need to process out. And guys, I honestly shouldn't even be doing this podcast right now because I'm not even halfway through this book yet, but I got really excited about it. And it has already done that for me. It has shown me that path that I needed to get up and start walking on. I needed to remind, I needed reminded of my inner strength and resilience. And I needed reminded that I alone control my perspective and that I'm the only person who can decide what my life will be like. And as a culture in general, we really have shied away from pain and suffering and I understand why, no one wants to walk through pain and suffering. We tend to take a pill instead of changing our lifestyle because a lifestyle change would be too painful. Or we avoid those hard conversations because we don't want to be uncomfortable. Or we might even ghost a friend and not respond to them because we can't bring ourselves to tell them that they have become extremely codependent. We get rid of the horse because it's stubborn or spooky or aggressive or whatever. And we have lost the willingness to allow these hard things to mold us and shape us and teach us what we are really made of. We have lost our curiosity and a lot of us have lost our empathy as well or an extent or have lost some of it to an extent to where we don't even look at that horse anymore and wonder what happened to it to make it that way. We just take it on personally and say, why would that horse do this to us? We have lost our willingness to be stretched, to feel frustrated. We've lost our willingness to feel anything. We just want to numb and procrastinate and avoid anything uncomfortable. And we've become victims in our own minds and victims of our own minds, unable to properly grieve the past that haunts us. And therefore we can't even let it go. This book was so timely for me because I had been filling my cup with self-pity, empathetic pity, which is something that I invented, I think. I don't know. Maybe I should Google it and see if it's a thing or not. But what I, might, what I mean by empathetic pity is I feel overwhelmed by feelings of pain and grief that others that I care about are going through and situations that are outside of my control. I felt overwhelmed, exhausted. I was feeling grief fear and anxiety, and I was filling my cup with all of these things, and it's okay to feel them for a season, but I was starting to feel a little bit stuck, and last week I decided to start changing the contents of my cup. You know, I might still hang on to a few things that I'm processing, but I certainly don't need to pick up every negative thing I can find, and as if I was attracted to it like a moth to flame. I'm now filling my cup with good nutrition, ample sleep, rest. I ended up taking the whole week off work because, guys, I needed it. Time for sitting on my porch in the sunshine and doing absolutely nothing and not feeling guilty about it. I'm filling my cup with laughter, relationships, walks, journaling. If I have Enough energy, possibly go ride my horse. If I don't, I'm going to probably just go sit in the pasture with her today. And I've also been binge listening to Harry Potter books on Audible while taking bubble baths because I am unapologetically a 90s kid and my brain and body were demanding a break from the world. So I ask you, what are you filling your cup with? If you look at your mind and body as a vessel, What are you pouring into them? What you pour in is going to create and influence what comes out. If I spend too much time watching the news or on social media, I will likely pour out anger, resentment, and anxiety. If I spend time outdoors and give myself permission to pause and just be, I am more likely to pour out patience, resilience, and hope. We are all human beings after all. We're not human doings, and that is not an original quote by me, although too many people have claimed credit for it that I don't even know who to source, but I just wanted to say that is not my original quote, but I love it. Our self-worth, basically what this quote is saying, is that our self-worth was not intended to be tied to a completed to-do list or be achievement-based in any way. This cup overflows into your interactions with your horse and with the people around you. And don't allow those precious few hours a week that you carve out of your busy schedule to be with your horse, to be robbed of substance because you are showing up in a dysregulated way and with either an empty vessel or one that has become filled with things that you may not want to be your focus. There is a time and a place to seek out the solace of a horse for healing and acceptance and peace as I am going to go do today when I sit in the pasture with my mare, Sedona. But I'm not going to ask anything of her. I'm in no position right now to be trying to fill a leadership role for her. That's not fair. And I'm not going to put her in a situation where She's going to feel insecure from my lack of ability to lead right now. And this is short term. Maybe tomorrow I will feel like I can go for a ride on her, but I want to make sure I do that justice when I do. You can't improve your horsemanship from an emotionally dysregulated space. You can't facilitate your horse walking through any of his fears or insecurities in a dysregulated emotional space. You can't stretch yourself either from that place. You can't grow. You can either rest and just kind of ride it out, or you can spin your wheels in frustration, or you can start changing what you are pouring into your cup. Let's talk for a moment about what happens on a biological level when you approach your horse with a dysregulated nervous system. I think it's important to know actually what happens. And essentially, being dysregulated means that you're having repeated or prolonged activations of the fight, flight, freeze, or shutdown responses. And these responses are survival-based and has been with humankind for hundreds of thousands of years. But we were never meant to stay in an extended activation. And I think anyone who has lived through the pandemic as we all have we we have experienced this extended activation now in a way that we never had before and these responses these survival responses were only meant to alleviate short-term stress an example would be a lion chasing you and you realize and you are activated Automatically, it's not something that you have to think about. You're just automatically activated. You get a dump of adrenaline and cortisol into your system, and your body goes into flight. And then you get away, and your body returns to a homeostasis place of rest, relaxation, connection, and socializing. And eventually, the lion becomes a distant memory that our bodies are no longer on alert for. But sometimes we get stuck in activation, especially in the modern day now. Our nervous systems are relentlessly scanning the environment for the next threat. We scan our news feeds. We scan the news stations. We scan our friends and our family for signs of a threat. Where's the next threat coming from? We become defensive, jumpy, or overly emotional. And in an effort to reestablish order in our world, we begin to assign meaning to every threat. So, an example of this would be my trailer tire is flat and I'm trying to leave and go somewhere. That's a sign that I shouldn't even go on this trip. We're just gonna hang it up and quit and not even go because what else is gonna go wrong? That's our brain scanning the environment for a threat and gathering evidence to prove its theory that life is out to get us, and that we are sitting ducks for the next catastrophe. Beyond changing your mindset and thought patterns, though, prolonged activation, well, any activation actually, but prolonged activation results in a prolonged change and shift of energy. Our thoughts are tied to our emotions, and our emotions create the energy we project. We are thinkers and feelers and senders and receivers of energy all at the same time. It takes tremendous effort and a willingness to maintain a regulated nervous system when you are around someone who is highly activated or dysregulated. Think about the last time you were with a group of people, maybe at a party, and everyone's having a good time, everything's going well. And then one person gets upset or offended or whatever it might be. And everyone's attention gets drawn to it, whether it's a verbal dispute or just a body language change. And you can feel the energy change in that room. You've heard that phrase, you could cut the tension with a knife. That's energy. That's a shift of activated sympathetic energy. And by sympathetic, I don't mean like being sympathetic toward another person. I mean your sympathetic part of your your sympathetic branch of your nervous system, which is your fight and flight response. Our nervous systems play off each other. And like a herd response with horses, we tend to also be activated when others are activated. This is an evolutionary survival skill. So we can literally sense that change in the room without any words, so we know that there is a threat. Our horses are wired very much the same way, but even more so. They have a much higher level of sensitivity than we do. They are more easily overwhelmed and overstimulated than people are. Or at least, your, generally speaking, your neurotypical person would be. Yet yeah, we flood them, with dysregulated energy that we are creating and projecting every time we interact with them, we trigger an activation in them and only a horse that has learned to regulate himself really well in all types of situations will absorb your dysregulation without following it. However, if you add consistent interaction with that horse and human over time, you add those interactions together, eventually the horse's nervous system will become activated too. And that fight flight freeze or shutdown response will begin to occur in that animal. So that concept that your horse feeds off of you is actually evidence based and backed by science. Now we know that this is true on a biological level. How fascinating is that? So there is no contesting this anymore. You can't You can't stick your head in the sand after hearing this and just decide it's not true. We know it to be true. The scientific community has proven it to be true. Our horses, they don't have the ability to work on themselves by themselves. They can only find regulation after becoming dysregulated, either out of their herd, they have to seek their herd out, or they have to seek a human out that is regulated. They have to find another being that is regulated to help regulate them. And that's why a beginner with confidence issues can buy an amazing horse. And then months later, that same horse completely unravels and becomes spooky and unreliable because it has synced up with the rider's nervous system and energy projections. The fact of the matter is our horses can't work on themselves by themselves. They can only find regulation after becoming dysregulated either by seeking out their herd mates or by an interaction with a human that has a regulated nervous system and can draw them back down to homeostasis. That's why a beginner with confidence issues can buy an amazing horse. And then months later, that same horse completely unravels and becomes spooky and unreliable, maybe dangerous because it has synced up with the nervous system of its rider and those energy projections your horse will eventually reflect your state of being back at you. And if you are not showing up, seeking out regulation and connection, you may not like the feedback you get. So going back to Dr. Edgar, she, after all the horrors of experiencing genocide, was in short, able to figure out that allowing herself to feel without judgment everything that came up in her memories and changing her perspective and focus changed the way her body felt. Initially, her grief and anger had been driven inward. She wouldn't or couldn't express them, and her health took a major toll because of this. Once she was able to acknowledge the pain, though, and the grief and the horrors that she had survived, she could look ahead and say, what now? What will I do with my life? What will I make it mean? She was able to find regulation within her own nervous system. So I have some journaling prompts for you as we wrap up this episode. Number one, what is my horse telling me about me? What is my horse trying to tell me about me? What are they reflecting back at me? What could I learn from those reflections? And reactions or responses, depending on what I'm getting. The second question is Have I really ever felt truly connected to my horse and regulated with them, where we both felt safe and seen and understood? And number three, what now? How can I fill the gap of where I am now and where I want to go? What resources could I use? what do I have at my disposal, who around me seems to be a self-regulated human and have a regulated interaction with their horse. And if I don't have anyone around me to learn that from, where could I go? To be passive is to let others decide for you. To be aggressive is to decide for others. To be assertive is to decide for yourself and to trust that there is enough and that you are enough, Dr. Edith Egger. Thank you guys, and I will see you next week. If you are enjoying my podcast, please visit pioneerhorsemanship.com where you will find the training tips and mindset coaching that I use every day to help my students and myself develop the mental, emotional, and physical skills that we need to become better for our horses. I'll see you there.